quick. Just give him a shout. Amen. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. One more time. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's give it up to my brother, Juan Riesco. Bring it up, brother. He's going to bring us a testimony. I love you so much, brother. Let's give it up to Juan. Jesus. Uh, so I just wanted to share a testimony today. Uh, before I came to God, I was broke, busted, and rich. Just kidding. Broke, busted, and disgusted. Uh, <laughs> I used to steal a lot. I used to was super sexually impure. All kinds of crazy stuff. The list really goes on. But the, the big thing was is that I was empty, and I was trying to fill something. And I didn't know what it was that I was trying to fill. And then I came to Christ, and I realized that uh, I was just looking for love, really, in all the wrong places. So um, found Jesus and realized that uh, that was the love I was looking for. <laughs> so before I came to Christ, I was thinking, like, how could God forgive me? Like, I did way too many bad things. Like, uh, everything people would say is sin. I'd be like, oh, that's me. Oh, I did that, I did that. Then I realized that <coughs> God does forgive all sins, and there's forgiveness for everything, and there's forgiveness from no matter what kind of sin you're in, and there's freedom from those sins. So um, the big thing is is you are not free from your sin, but you are free from sin. Free. What is, how does it go, Brian? You're not free to sin. You're free from sin. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, I really like that. That really encouraged me. That really inspired me. We are free from sin, and God forgives all of it. So uh, I just wanted to share Hebrews 8, Young 12. For I will forgive their wickedness, you heard, and I will remember their sins no more. Praise the Lamb. Give it up to Jesus. Amen, God. God, I just bless the service, bless this congregation, bless all the people here, God. Take care of us, Lord. Keep us in your arms because your arms feel so good. Jesus, we love you, God. In his almighty name we pray. Congregation, say it. Congregation, say it. Amen. Sing in your life. Cause in your life, let me hear you sing it. I found my strength. And in your truth, yes, I overcome. And in your grace, yes, I lose myself. For in your life, put every voice.
next part. Happy boy. close to this place. Come on. God, we thank you this morning for the body of believers, God. God, I thank you for my neighbor. Come on. I thank you for the people in this place, God, that come to worship you. <sighs> come on, church. With eyes closed right now, come on. What do you think heaven's like right now? What do you think they're doing in heaven? In heaven right now, there is unceasing, unstopped the worship of God. And I can only imagine that when, you, when we get before the Lord, and probably one of the only things we can say is, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And maybe some of our reactions may be, Whoa, it's Jesus. It's really Him. It's really God. Everything that I've been living for, everything that he called me to do, everything I gave up, the things that I sacrificed, come on, the sins that I've been forgiven of, it made it was really worth it. There he is. There's Jesus. Come on. I like to think that we can have that heart right now. Come on, we don't have to wait for streets of gold. Yes, that's a promise, and one day we'll be with the Lord. But right now we can worship him. Hasn't he saved you from something? Hasn't he brought you out of something? Come on. Hasn't he given you new life in this place? Maybe you don't have new life this morning, but by Jesus, come on, you can receive new life. God, we know that you don't just call us into a church for meetings, but God, that you fill us. Come on, how many of you out today, this morning, want to be filled with the Lord? Come on, as the attitude of surrender and humility, would you lave your hands in the air? Come on, just put them in the air. As a sign of surrender, like, God, I'm done playing church. I'm done being religious on my own strength, being good by my own deeds. God, I ask that you fill me up. Come on, that's our prayer here this morning, everyone. 
Come on, from the pastors to the leaders to the first-time visitors. Holy Spirit, would you fill us up? Fill us up, oh Lord. Fill us up, Lord. Come on and ask him this morning. Fill me up, Lord. Fill us up, Lord. Oh, we're thirsty for you. We're hungry for you. We want more of you, Jesus. And so hear me, oh Lord, when I cry. For I am broken and I'm Complacency, my enemy, and your fire. And let desperation be like Davis King for my life. Come on, it's really goodness. Goodness and mercy follow me. My cup runneth over. My cup runneth over. Broken and the contrite, you have yet to deny. I lay before you. I lay there before you. And you're never gonna leave me dry. No, you don't, no, you don't, no, you don't. You're always willing. My cup, come sing this out. And you're never gonna leave me dry. No, you don't, no, you don't, no, you don't. You're always willing. My cup, you'll be filling. Sing, hear me low when I cry. Oh, and hear me, oh Lord, where I cry. Come on, sing, I'm broken, I'm thirsty, and I'm dry. For I am broken, and I'm thirsty, and I'm Complacency, my enemy, your fight. Who sing let desperation be? Desperation be like David's king for my life. Surely, goodness. And mercy, follow me. My cup runneth over. My cup runneth over. And the broken and the contrite, you have yet to deny. I lay before you. 
David. Come on, sing it never. Never gonna leave. Come on, sing it out. single time and be filled come on church let's come this morning to the throne of heaven come on and be filled with the lord come on we come straight to you lord yes lord we want to be filled this morning 
to be filled up this morning, you got to let go of what's in your hands. Come on. Come on, what are you holding on to this morning? That you're saying, no, I'm good, Lord. You don't have to fill me up. You can pass me by, Lord. Come on. What are you filled on this morning that maybe you're saying, I don't really need that? on, whatever it is, won't you empty yourself of your pride, of your insecurities, your failures, or maybe on the things that you have. I have a great family. I have money in the bank. I don't need to be filled. No, you need Jesus in your heart. You need the Holy Spirit to come and breathe new life. Come on, if you're filled with the Spirit here this morning, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit, that God's not dead, that He gives us a gifts for the church. Come on, if you're filled with the gifts of the Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, come on. Just start building up your most holy faith right now. Come on, we believe it as a church. So come on, church. Let's build up our faith this morning. Let heaven fall, let heaven fall in this place. Oh, oh we join the host of angels in your worship. With arms open wide, arms open wide. Would you rain it down from heaven? Would you pour it out over your people, Lord? Oh, fill us in you, we pray. Fill us in you, we pray. Sanana Masake. Fill us in you, we pray. Fill us in you, we pray. Sanana anyone's desire here this morning come on we're going to leave room right now for the Holy Spirit to come and speak we can do it a lot in our own strength by our own means but we say Holy Spirit come and speak to us this morning use your people God give them words for people here today build up your church Lord desire it come on, if you feel led of the Holy Spirit to share a word
come, that's a specific word for someone here in this place. And if that's you, we don't want to embarrass you, but I just ask wherever you're at, come on, they may be for more, one or two people here. If that word was for you, I just ask that you place your hand over your heart right now. Come on. Place your hand over your heart right now, and we pray, Holy Spirit, Lord, that your freedom would come over her in Jesus' name. Whoever it is, Father, right now, there's freedom in Jesus' name, Father. There's joy. There's joy. There is peace. Come on, there is victory. There is forgiveness at the feet of the cross. Hallelujah. Come on. Jesus. Jesus, come on. We have time for one more word here this morning. your works that get you saved but only the blood of a perfect lamb Jesus Christ come on if there's anybody wanting to grow in intimacy man maybe you're hitting a wall every single time you're trying to pray like man is this really working and now you're just doing it because it's just tradition I just pray but really nothing happens come on if you're wanting a breakthrough here this morning I just ask that you would leave your seat right now come on no shame if you're wanting a breakthrough in your prayer and in your walk with Christ we believe that God comes and he comes and he pours out his Holy Spirit. And it's not by works and it's not by your efforts, but what, what God has done already in the cross. And if you want to receive that here this morning, just come on up, leave your seat. Come on, there's no shame. Come on. Come on, there's more people here. Come on. We'll wait for you. Come on, if you're up here at this altar right now, this is what I want you to do. I just want you to pour out your heart to God. Come on, no more trying in your own efforts. He's here. He's here. Jesus. Come on. We want to break through, Lord. We want intimacy with you, Jesus. Oh, Lord. Lord. We want intimacy with you, Lord. We want intimacy with you. Come on, doesn't matter who you are. Leaders churchgoers, you've been saved all your life. Come on. Oh. You provide the fire. 
Come on. Come on. You're in, you're in the presence of God right now. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, God. Oh, God, you are so good, Lord. You are so good, God. Oh, we worship you in this place, God. We worship you in this place, God. We say, God, that we are not worthy of the praise, but you are worthy of the praise. What you did, God, you are worthy. You are alone are completely holy, set apart, pure, perfect. Oh, God, you are almighty. You are awesome. Let's just take just a few moments, just a few minutes, just to admire God right now in the splendor of his holiness. of him in this world. There's nothing like him at all. It's completely set apart. Perfect. Come on, church. Connect with heaven today. This is what heaven is about right now. They're viewing God right now and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Oh, Lord, you are holy, God. presence I can fill you with me you can be like me in this world you can be like me in this world you can represent me in this world it starts with my spirit in this church right now we're gonna just go after the spirit right now we're gonna repeat this song and we're just gonna go after the spirit of God we're hungry for the spirit of God in this church we want Jesus in this place we want the Holy Spirit in this place Let's go after him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Fill me up. 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 Oh, 
Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Love of God overflow in this place. Overflow in this place. Love of God overflow in this place. The holy, perfect God, let your love overflow in this place, God. Permeate our souls, God. Permeate our souls, Lord. Saturate us, God, in your love. God, we just pray right now for the gospel presentation, God, that people will be saved and for the service, God. Let you have your way, God, in Jesus' name. And everybody say, hallelujah. Let's give the Lord just a shout of praise. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Yes, God. you guys you can uh, find your way back to your seats and uh, we're going to dismiss right now the king's kids so you guys can go with the, the worker right there they can leave Ashley right there is waiting well for, for those of you who don't know me my name is uh, Ellie I'm one of the pastors on staff here at MPI and uh, it is our tradition to share the gospel every single Sunday because we want to make it very clear what we believe and what we expect you know when let's say you walk into this church because that's what our goal is our goal is to reach the lost our goal is to make disciples of all nations we'll hear more and more about that in the announcements but you can turn in your Bible if you have one to John 3 verse 3 This is actually a verse that is very popular to our, our church. We actually have it on the back of all our uh, flyers. And before I read it, I just want to say that you cannot fool God. You can say that you're a Christian. You can come to church. You can do the whole shebang. You know, you can be that. But you cannot fool God because God sees you for who you really are. He sees if you really believe in the gospel, if you really believe in Jesus Christ dying on the cross for you. He sees if you really live by that. And so with this verse in mind, I wanna, I wanna, with that in mind, I want to read us this verse. John 3, verse 3. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Another way, very, I tell you the truth. Jesus telling the truth here. Obviously, he always told the truth. You know, he's the son of God. But I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God. No one. Not Aunt Memma. Not, you know, your grandma that was a Catholic for many years. It doesn't matter. Unless they were born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. You may be asking yourself, what does born again mean? Does, does that mean I have to go back into my mother? Do I have to you know, be reborn? No, it means a spiritual birth. It means that when you hear the gospel, when you hear that Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins, what do you do? You believe that and you repent. You say, I am not going to live in my sin anymore. I will not do that. The Bible says that you die to yourself. And guess who? The Spirit of God gives birth to a new spirit in you. You become alive. Behold, the old is gone, the new has come, the Bible says. You are a new creature in the eyes of God. Though you can remember all the sins you've done in the past, God says that he doesn't remember it no more. He remembers it no more. So you're thinking to yourself, man, that sounds really tough. It means that I have to be transformed? Yes, it means you have to be transformed. It means that you have to be changed when you hear the gospel, when you come into church. It means that you have to live it out. Guess what? Because that's what Jesus wanted. That's what Jesus died for. 
Did he die just so that you could say, hey, man, uh, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, and then you don't do it? No. He died so that you can have new life. Amen? Everybody can stand up. If uh, this is the first time you ever heard that, we want to give you an opportunity to, to receive prayer, to give your life to the Lord, to make that change in your life, to, you know, to repent and to turn away from things. So let's just pray right now. Father God, all across this room, God, you know every single person. The Bible says that you, you formed them and you knit them together in the womb, God. You had all the days of their life already in your mind. And God, we know that you are our author. You are our creator. You love us more than anybody else could love us, God. I pray today, God, that every single person in this place would know you, that they would do whatever it takes to get in good graces with you, God, and that is to obey what the gospel says, to repent, to believe, to follow you, God. Jesus, God, we, we just lift up every single person in this room, God, who has not been saved, God. I pray that they would get it right today, God, that they would not delay any moment, any moment longer, God, that they would see you be an awestruck of you, God, and say, God, can I please come? Is there room at the cross for me? Is there room at the cross for me? Is there room for one more in heaven? Can I see the kingdom of heaven, God? Can I be with you for eternity, God? Jesus, God, I pray that that would happen today in this place, God. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. You can give a hand clap of praise. Don't be shy. Come on, come on. It's the gospel. Come on. It's transformed all our lives in this place. You know, it's, it's worthy of praise. <laughs> all right. So if you believe in that, uh, if, you, if you gave your life to the Lord during the prayer or whatever, you know, if you want to talk more about it, we have here Ricky and uh, Pastor Christina right here. And they will pray over you. They'll talk to you about all our church offers and especially just about salvation in general. Amen. So now we're going to do our confession of faith. It's just, you know, our worldview in this church, our doctrines that we believe. It's very universal. You can go to plenty of churches all around the world, and they would believe this. Amen? So uh, if you have never been here to our church and you want to recite it with us and you want to maybe in a handout form, you can lift up your hand right now, and our ushers will uh, hand it out to you. Let's just give a moment for that. All righty. Count of three we're going to do, right? One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in a perfect holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and your eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Hallelujah. You guys may greet your neighbors. Hallelujah.
morning and welcome to MPI Church. Who's excited to be in the house of God? Who's excited to be in the house of God? Come on, please make your way back to the, your seat. It's so good to see you all here this morning. We have so many visitors. Thank you so much for joining us. If this is your first time here, please raise your hand. One of our ushers would love to bring you a brochure. Give you a little information about who we are. our family service Fridays we have elevate youth service at 7 p.m. come on elevate elevate amen and we have a vision here of loving God and loving people those are the two greatest commands that Jesus gave us to love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself so we want to live that out here and we have a discipleship strategy, which is threefold, connect, mentor, and send. We want to make sure that you guys are connected to Jesus. That's why we preach the gospel every week, you know, in the beginning of service. Connected to Jesus. He is your foundation. And then you get connected to the body of Christ through our life groups. Life groups are a place where disciples share life. And we do that throughout um, various activities, different things going on. We have an encounter night prayer group. We have children's ministry where we teach our children about the word of God. We have single men's life group, all that good stuff. So many things. So if you want a complete listing of what we have going on throughout the quarter, please look on the back of your announcements if you've gotten them already. If not, please check us out on the website and on Facebook. Come on, are you guys on Facebook? You guys are on Facebook, right? So check us out on Facebook, send out a message, or even talk to me after service, and I want to connect you to the right place. And so here's what we have going on this week. Tonight we have our encounter prayer group happening at 5 p.m. here at the church. We have our single moms group happening today at 5 p.m., yes, with Pastor Lauren. We have Wednesday Kings Kids at 6.30 p.m. Parents, you can come with them, you can drop them off, or, or you can hang out here, and that's happening Wednesday at 6.30. Friday adult Bible study at my place, child care is provided, and Saturday evangelism, 5 p.m., guys, just going out, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, amen, you guys are excited, yes, so many things for you guys to do, and then, after you get connected, right, you know Jesus, you're getting connected in the church, you want to make sure you get mentored, somebody say mentored, we do this through our one-on-one -on -one discipleship, you meet with one of the elders or deacons here at the church, and they help you teach you how to live for Christ. And once you graduate this, you go on to the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples. Come on, training you up because God wants to train you up to be sent out. Somebody say send. God wants to send you out into this world to impact this world, to preach the gospel and to see souls saved. Amen. And we got a goal of 100,000 disciples here in the city of Chicago, 50 churches here and 500 all around the world. Come on, if you believe that, come on, give God some praise. Come on, because he's the one that's going to do it. Amen. All right, now it's time to prepare to give our tithes and offerings. We want to prepare to give God our best. Please turn with me in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 9, 6. We're in lesson number three. I'm reading out of the Disciples Giving book. Lesson number three. Offerings are generous gifts to God. Offerings are generous gifts to God. We know that tithe is 10% of our total income. So what is an offering? What is the second thing they're talking about? Well, an offering is a gift to God after our tithe. 
So 10% of your total income. So if, if you received $100 this week, how much is 10% of your $100? $10, yes. So, so then you pray and you ask God. Anything you give after that $10 becomes your offering. So let's read here in 1 Corinthians 9, 6. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. That's a good word, generously, right? So what does being generous mean as a Christian? So here's the uh, main point number one. To be generous means to give freely in abundance. Being generous is the opposite of being selfish and stingy. At the same time, the amount doesn't determine the generosity, but rather the heart. For example, Jesus said, a poor widow gave the most to God because she had everything she had. You guys remember that story? Yeah, in the Bible, she gave out of her heart, not because she had so much, but she gave what she could. So being generous is a heart thing. It's not an amount thing. And individually, what does this mean? Since each person's financial situation is different, God doesn't require offerings to be a certain amount. Just like how the tithe is 10% of everyone's total income, the offering is always supposed to be generous, freely given in abundance in regards to everyone's individual circumstance. And so that brings us to number three. We're not to compare each other to each other's givings. It says don't compare. When giving your offerings, don't compare your best to someone else's. For some people, giving an extra 25 a month is generous, and for others, they can give 500 a month. It all depends on what God has given them and told them to give. However, each person's gift should be his or her best. Amen? Come on, so we give generously out of our heart, and we are not to compare each other. So in summary, determine what your best generous offering is. I'm sorry, determine what is your best generous offering that you can give freely each month and give it with joy. Because somebody say joy. Yes, we give with joy unto God and his kingdom. And let's apply this to our life. Number one, be a faithful tither. Start there. Start with the 10%. If, you don't, if you're not really in the habit of, of giving, be faithful to God with your 10. And, and number two, pray and seek God for what is considered generous in your life. He will set a certain amount in your life, and that it, it's in individual to each person, right? And number three, be a generous giver. Amen. Please stand up to your feet with me this morning as we recite this confession over our tithes and offerings. You guys ready to give God your best? Amen. Let's recite this together. The offering is a gift to God after the tithe and is given in a variety of ways. God said it should be a generous seed given with a cheerful heart from personal sacrifice. Offerings will always bring thanksgiving to God because they go towards charity and ministry supplies. We give offerings in obedience to God's word, sharing with others our blessings with a gracious heart by imitating Jesus and revealing where our treasure really is. Amen and amen. So here at MPI, when you give your tithe, that goes to the general fund. Anything that takes place here at the church, the bills, that's what the tithe goes to. Anytime you give anything after that becomes your offering. You choose where your offering goes to, whether missions or building fund. And this year in November, we're taking a missions trip to the Philippines. Amen? It's going to be powerful. Yes, and thanks to your giving, this is coming. This is taking place, and it's happening. We're already making plans with other pastors, and it's going to be powerful. So make sure you circle where you want your money to go to. Amen. And so let's recite this scripture together. Acts 20, 35. 
Come on, we know it. Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we are blessed to be a blessing. I pray for generous hearts in this room, dear God, that we would give freely to your kingdom, that we would see other people be blessed. Dear God, help us, those who are struggling with finances. I pray for doors to open, doors of employment to open. God, I pray for debt to be broken off in the name of Jesus and just wisdom upon your people financially, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please come up as you give. Thank you. Man, if you love Jesus the week after Easter, can I get a hallelujah? Amen. These are the real Christians. Look at your neighbor and say, you ain't no creaster. Come on, you ain't just coming on Christmas and Easter, man. You're the real deal. Well, welcome to Metro Praise, man. My name is Joe Irostic. I was not involved in last week's service, and guess what? Everybody said it was the best service of their life. I don't know if that was a sign or what. Like, we gave Easter service to the people, and the people came back and said, we loved it. Pastor, you can retire and go refire somewhere else. No, 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 I'm kidding. I'm, I'm here. I'm glad to be here. I was so proud of everybody's talent last week. Thank you guys for showing up, bringing your friends and family. Record-breaking service. Over 267 people showed up. Can we give Jesus a hand clap for that? Come on. Talent was awesome. The YouTube videos are still there. Some stars are in the making. I see a lot of talent going on, man. We've got some record deals possibly coming up. And then I think there's some of you that are hungry. Now you got this in your eye, like in your heart, like, man, I could do that. I could do it. Well, guess what? Christmas. Okay, so we're not going to like think about it too much because we want warm weather right now. But I just want to say if you got a talent and you want to show it off and you feel like you just missed Easter, come for Christmas, okay? But come all the time in between because you ain't a you ain't a what a creaster coming on Christmas and Easter. You know I'm so happy that you're here today. But uh, be honest with you, I have such a heavy heart for today's message. A heavy, heavy heart because we're in a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus's teachings in the Book of Matthew five, six, and seven. And at this portion where we are today, he talks about anger and murder. 
anger, and murder. And my heart is so heavy because of what's going on in our city personally and what's happening in many homes and people's lives. So I want you to be very serious and attentive to what God is saying to you and to your city and community today because I believe God wants us to do more than just hear a message. He wants our hearts to be changed, and he wants us to be part of the change. Amen? And I'm going to be giving a warning in just a moment that uh, if some children are here, I see some mothers with some of their young children under 13, because I'm going to get into some PG-13 stuff, but I'll let you know when that comes up. Will you open up your Bibles with me to Matthew 5, 21? This is the part of the teaching where Jesus is now going to talk about violence and anger. And what you're going to see is that Jesus is going to compare being angry and calling somebody an idiot and a fool to the very act of murder. He's going to say now, you thought just don't murder was all you had to do. Like, oh, I don't murder anybody. Okay, you're good. You thought that way, but Jesus is now going to say, I'm expecting more from you than just not murdering. I'm expecting you not to get angry and treat each other bad. And then he's going to teach us here that if you do get angry, curse somebody out, that in his judgment, in his court, he's going to consider you a murderer. And guess what? Next week, he's going to talk about if you lust in your heart, he's going to consider you an adulterer. So even if you don't have sex with a married man or a married woman, if you are on pornography or getting in to lust in your heart, young people, old people alike, listen, you're going to be considered an adulterer in God's mind. He's very serious, amen? See, the new covenant, as we learned about a couple weeks ago, the new covenant is a brand new covenant, an agreement between us and God, but it doesn't become a easy, breezy, greasy grace covenant. It's actually a covenant that goes deeper than the old covenant. Yes, in the old covenant, there was a lot of religious things you had to do, like sacrifice animals and, and go to the temple and bring offering, and you had to bring a certain kind of offering. Yes, those were requirements. And you may say, well, I'm in the new covenant. I don't have to do that. Jesus loved me. He died on the cross. But if you do not stop and understand what the new covenant is, you will miss it. The new covenant is actually deeper and more real than the old covenant. See, the old covenant, you could just not kill somebody, not commit adultery, and you will get a star next to your name. In the new covenant, now your thought life and your words are being held accountable. Why? Because you have more in the new covenant than you did in the old covenant. In the old covenant, they didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them. All they had was the law, and they had to go and do their best to obey it. But in the New Covenant, that New Testament part of your Bible, the Bible says, as we learned today, when you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives in you. So you're required now to walk with God. And there's no more excuses. Well, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to curse them out. Yes, you do. You do know because God is living with you. Well, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to lust. Yes, you do. God is with you. Look at your neighbor and say, God is with you. Isn't that what Emmanuel means, God with us? Jesus was that first representation. Then he said, it's good that I go away, that the Holy Spirit will come, and he will live inside of you. And if you're already saying right now, Pastor, I don't have a problem cussing out people, and I don't have a problem being an adulteress, you know, what's up with that? I would tell you, you ain't saved then. You don't have the Holy Spirit in you. Because if you had the Holy Spirit, you would know when you cuss somebody out, it's wrong. And I'm going to give you an example of that. And then tomorrow, uh, next week, we're going to talk about if you got the Holy Spirit in you, he'll check you when you're lusting after um, the opposite sex or the same sex, whatever is your flavor, both sex, eh? I mean, we'll talk about it next week. Amen? Is it okay if we talk about sex next week? Y'all getting quiet on me right now. <laughs> now you're going to get that one awkward amen from the loud guy. Okay, let's go to verse <laughs> let's go to verse 21. 
21, here we are. You have heard, this is Jesus talking, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Everybody say judgment. Right? That makes sense. You murder somebody, you're judged. Now, verse 22, but I tell you, somebody say, but he tells us. Look at your other neighbor and say, that's what he said. Come on, kingdom basics here. That's what he said. But I tell you that anyone who is angry, everybody say angry, thank you with a brother or sister will be subject to what? Judgment. Oh, come on. See, it just got real quick. It got real, real quick. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which is Aramaic for you idiot, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. See, we don't have the same cuss words that they had back then, but these are like cuss words. These are ways of insulting people. As a matter of fact, if you learn about where our cuss words come from, it's kind of silly, isn't it? Like a female dog, we call each other that when we're mad, you be. Y'all looking at me, y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Does, but that's a female dog, right? But people be calling each other that. That sounds stupid, right? Well, that's just like the word raka. Like, oh, what's wrong with calling somebody raka? But in that day, that was known to get it on, okay? You're a raka. Okay, let's get it on, you know? That's just like if you said to somebody, you're a bee. You're a bee. You're like, let's, let's get it on. Let's, let's, I'm going to get on your level now. Either curse you out or get into a fight. Same thing with calling somebody a fool in that way. Anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. You're in danger of the fire of hell, according to Jesus. Verse 24, or 23 rather. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and go be reconciled first to them. Then come back and offer your gift. So you're coming to church, you're saying, God bless me. God sees a mess in your life. God says, I ain't going to bless your mess. Before you come up here asking for a blessing, go back to that person you wanted to cuss out or did cuss out, that situation that you didn't resolve with your husband, your wife, your kids, your relatives, your coworker. You make that right as best as you can. Then you come offer your gift. I love Jesus. Amen. Verse 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you pay the last penny. Now, in the time of Jesus, they actually had debtor's jail. So if you borrowed money from somebody and uh, you couldn't pay it back, they could bring you to court and then have you put in jail until you paid the money by doing slave labor. Come on, that's real, isn't it? Y'all would be thinking about spending that American Express a little bit more like you you have a better thought about that, right? Because if you just flippantly spent that credit card not thinking about it, and then all of a sudden American Express puts you in slave labor to pay off every penny, them shoes may not be worth it. Can I get an amen? I mean, let's just keep it real. The shoes, the purse, the whatever, ladies, come on, the fellas, uh, the rims, or whatever you'd get with that money. Rims. Does anybody here have rims? Okay, I need to come up with better. Oh, yes. Oh, I love you. Let's give it up for our Mexicano who's got a pimped out ride. Yes. And I'm not going to ask you if you put it on credit, but you did you pay for it? In, I am going to ask you. Crash, cash or credit, baby. Oh, right there. The six months same as cash. Come on. <laughs> I half clap for that awkward thing. I'm embarrassed that I asked him, to, first of all, because I shouldn't have asked. That was a little nosy, wasn't it? But here's the deal. It's okay, Ishmael, I love you. But the bottom line is if he didn't pay back that six months same as cash in this environment, he could be doing slave labor paying off them rims on that pimped out truck. 
So he would have to think to himself, man, daddy got a word. Daddy got a poppy, got to get this thing done, right? Because if he don't, he's going to jail. Now let's look at the terms here of our series, Sermon on the Mount. The largest single portion of Jesus' teachings. That's what you're looking at today. Let's go to the notes, please. Number one, you're hearing in the midst of Jesus' teaching right here an important part of his character that he wants everybody to know. He wants you to know this is important to him, and Sermon on the Mount is the entire sermon. So this week and month or whenever you have the time, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And then I'm asking you on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, if you have time, put Kingdom Basics as a hashtag. Whenever you come up with a verse, a scripture, something in your life that has to do with what you're learning here, encourage everybody by doing Kingdom Basics. Let me say Kingdom Basics. Thank you. The Sermon on the Mount. Is this passage of Scripture the whole thing? We're just talking about one part of it today. The disciples are those who he's talking to. Let's read the definition together. Born again, committed of Jesus Christ, bam. And then what that means is that the students of Jesus are called disciples. So disciples are not somebody who just says, I believe in Jesus. They're ones who learn to live like Jesus. So today, are you a disciple? Are you learning to live like Jesus? Or do you just want to be considered like a Christian on your census, you know? Like, are you a Jew? Are you a Muslim, Buddhist, whatever, Christian? Because, you know, you can check that off all day long. But that's not what Jesus called his disciples. He called disciples those who studied his word. Is anybody here studying God's word, learning to live like him? Amen. Okay, and then lastly, what we need to know before we get into the message is the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. And that simply means that everything Jesus is teaching us here in the Sermon on the Mount is about his kingdom. It's about how he does things. So when he says, you've heard it told you, don't murder or you'll go to court and get in trouble. But now I'm telling you, don't cuss people out or you'll get in trouble. You may say, well, that's not how it works around my neighborhood. That's not how it was when I was growing up. That's not how it is in my country, because America, we could all take that on and say, our country don't operate like that, does it? We're pretty vulgar and vocal about what we feel, don't we? Do Chicagoans have a reputation to the rest of the country as being nice and shy people? Is that how we're known to the rest of the country? Oh, those Chicagoans, they're so nice and shy and quiet, meek and humble, Right? That's like what you think about, like, retired folks in Boca Raton, Florida or something, you know? It's like Chicago, Detroit, Cleveland, you know, like, we're all, like, uh, up in that Midwesterner, like, coldest ice. We can tell it as it is. Is anybody tracking with me here today? Okay, so what Jesus is telling us is I don't care what nation you're in. I don't care what city you're in. I don't care what family background you come from. I don't care what your heritage is. This is how we do stuff in my kingdom. This is how we do stuff here. And if you call me your king, you need to live like I'm your king. No excuses. No excuses. If he's our king, we need to live like it. Now, some people may say, well, pastor, y'all Christians do that, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to get on top by cussing people out, doing all these bad things. Let me tell you something. You may get away with it for right now, but my king is coming back one day, and he's going to make you bow before his his throne, and everything you worked for is going to become mine in the new kingdom. Because the Bible says we inherit this earth, and then we rule and reign with him. Amen? Amen. 
So if you want to make your money through wickedness and get sent to hell fire and then I get to spend it for all of eternity, then that's up to you, baby. But hell ain't worth it for me. I ain't going to hell to cuss somebody out, to live in adultery, break God's command. I'm going to heaven with the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? If you want to go to heaven with Jesus, give him a hand clap. If you want to reign with Jesus, give him a hand clap. If you want to do it with Jesus, give him a hand clap. Amen. Somebody say amen if you believe it. It's tight, but it's right. That's what the Bible says. The wicked lay up their wealth for the righteous. This planet doesn't belong to Bill Gates, Donald Trump, or any of it belongs to Jesus. He's our king. Now, I want to tell the parents that are here, I see that there may be a few parents here that have children under 13. I want to ask you if you feel uncomfortable with graphic violence to have them to leave. Because now I want to talk about murder. And I want to be graphic with you as adults and young adults in here because we can't hide this fact anymore from our, our church and we can't hide it from our lives. We need to be real. We need to face this. Our culture is violent. You may sit here today on Sunday and look cute and all together and everything and not and pretend that this is not for you, but this is for you. This message is for you. And before we get to the part about cursing, I want us to make sure we understand what murder is and how it takes all different shapes and sizes. Some people may say, well, since the majority of murder takes place in bad neighborhoods and I don't live in bad neighborhoods, a bad neighborhood, then that doesn't apply to me. You couldn't be further from the truth. There's murder and violence that happens in every kind of neighborhood. There's violence and spousal abuse in every kind of neighborhood, child abuse in every kind of neighborhood. There's mass killings in every kind of school, in every kind of neighborhood, even in the places we think are the most safe, like universities. We've seen mass shootings. Also, at uh, military bases, mass shootings. Violence is all around us. Here's what murder is, according to the Bible. It's to wrongfully take someone's life. That's obvious, right? But we need to be reminded of it. The Bible talks about thou shalt not murder as the sixth commandment that was given to God, uh, given to Moses by God in the Ten Commandments. And why is it we shall not murder? Because man is made in the image of God. Why is it you can eat a cow today and it not be considered murder? Why is it you can eat a chicken today and not be considered murder? Is because these animals are not made in the image of God. But people are made in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 through 27, the Bible says that both male and female are made in the image of God. That's why if you mess with God's image in his creation, you are deserving of hell fire. So when gangbangers start to think about this person as their enemy, they have no idea. When they're re bringing retribution to this person, they are messing with the image of God. And God will hold that gangbanger responsible. When innocent people are killed because of governments and fascism, communism alone, in the, uh, the 20th century, from 1900 to 1999, communism alone was responsible for 85 million deaths. See, doesn't that just take away this idea that murder is just for ignorant people? Germany killed 10 million people, and they had some of the smartest scientists, some of the best universities, and they killed 10 million people and treated Jewish people like they were rats. 
They stopped believing that they were made in the image of God. You, you see, now when our culture has a mass shooting, like, you know, that one that happened where that man went to an elementary school and killed these children, we always want to say, what's wrong with him? What's mentally wrong with him? Well, look at societies who have done more than just kill 10 or 20. Look at societies that have killed tens and 30, 40 million Russia is responsible for almost killing 30 million. China, 30 million of its own people. Are those people clinically crazy? No. They've just changed definitions of human worth. What about the slave trade that happened here in America that killed and treated human beings, African Americans, like animals and shipped them all over the nation and let them die by the hundreds and thousands just coming here and beat them to death? Why was that allowed? Because people changed the definition of human value. And why is it right now the greatest number of murders is happening to our unborn children in abortion clinics and we think nothing of it? Because we've changed the value of human beings. I want to give you some examples of what murder looks like in our culture. These were just taken from the last couple of weeks. A man beat his wife to death with a tire iron after only being married for four days to collect her $1 million life insurance policy. You see, you might say, well, I, you know, I don't live in the inner city, pastor, you know, so I'm not, I'm not going to kill somebody like that. What if you got into debt so bad that you began to think of a way to get money and you and your wife don't get along anymore and one day that's your only result? Do you think that man who beat his wife with a tire iron had a history of beating and killing people with a tire iron? My friends, if it wasn't for the grace of God in any of our lives, we could possibly be these kind of people. You may say, well, Pastor, I, I would never do that. Yeah, but would you be a part of Hitler's Third Reich? What if your government, what if Obama made this place a socialist nation and convinced you that certain races don't deserve to live? Slave traders, socialists, communists, Muslim suicide bombers, they're all people like you and I who being brainwashed over and over and over again change their definition. They're not clinically crazy. They have just lost the mind, the conscience that God has given them. So before we point our finger and say, I can never be guilty of that, let us ask ourselves, did this man ever think he could be guilty of that? How about this? Number two, a man broke into his female neighbor's house, strangled her while she slept, then dismembered her body with a hacksaw. I don't want you to be afraid to go to bed at night, but I would say do what you have to do to protect yourself. But could you imagine what has to go wrong in this person's mind for him no longer to respect the opposite sex, to rape, to take something that doesn't belong to him and then try to get away with it by dismembering the body? Now, at this point, we may say, well, Pastor, I, I, just, I just can't identify. No matter how much you get me to think about it, I can't identify. Let me ask you this question. What comes to your mind when I tell you this? A 14-year-old murdered her 11-year-old sister by stabbing her 40 times. Do you think the parents of that house, when they left that sister in charge, 14-year-old sister in charge of that 11-year-old sister, do you think it ever crossed their mind in a million years, I'll be coming home to a bloodbath where one of my daughters murders the other one? How in the world does a society get that far off track to where a 14-year-old can stab to death her 11-year-old? 
and it wasn't in the inner city. Number four, a man in the south decapitated his seven-year-old handicapped son and placed his head on the front lawn for his wife to see it when he got home, when she got home. As a way to say that this dummy, that's what he called his child, a dummy was placed on him to be responsible for, and he wanted his wife to see, you won't control me by having me continually stay home and take care of the son. Now, once again, you may say, well, there's mental problems involved. There's these kind of problems. But does that answer the problem for all anger and murder? Are we going to just say everybody is mentally cuckoo? Hitler was cuckoo. The 14-year-old was nuts. No, they lost the value of human life. Are you going to tell me every person that has an abortion is nuts? Like literally clinically nuts. They don't know their name. They don't know how to use the bathroom. They don't know how to take a shower and clean themselves. You know, most crazy people clinically don't know how to do those things. No, these are average, ordinary, normal thinking people that have changed the value of human life. And I'm going somewhere, so please hang here with me. But now Chicagoans, the one that we probably would think is obvious. But it shouldn't be numb to us is this next one. During Easter weekend, last weekend, eight people were shot and killed in our city, and at least 44 others were wounded. And just look at the most violent crime cities in 2013. Though we went down, and as a nation we're going down from our peak of the 90s, Chicago still led in murders with 412, New York with 333, Detroit 332, Los Angeles 255, Philadelphia 246. Chicago is almost half, less than half the size of L.A. and New York. New York is double our size. L.A. is double our size. And yet this is how we're leading the nation. This shouldn't become numb to us. We shouldn't push this off onto somebody else. Every one of you here either knows somebody or has a friend or a family member that's been involved in these kinds of activities. I've had to do the funerals. You and I are responsible for our community. We can't just wipe our hands clean and say, well, me and my kids don't do this. We have to take responsibility for our city. We need to talk to our young people. We need to talk to the young adults. We need to be in the inner cities. We need to preach it in our churches as we're doing right now. Look at the U.S. stats and rankings, because now look at us as a nation, not just as a city. The U.S. averages, our land of the free, home of the brave, averages between 12 to 14,000 murders a year. In 2012, that was 4.7 murders for one, every 100,000 people. How does that compare to all the other wealthy nations of the world? Japan, 0.4. Germany, 0.8. Australia, 1. France, 1.1. Britain, 1.2. There has been studies done comparing it to Chicago that sometimes our death rate is higher than people in the military serving in Afghanistan. And this is our nation compared to other nations. How have we gotten so off track? How have we gotten to the point where we don't value human life, where we do not keep each other accountable, we do not teach our children, we do not treat our neighbor the way we want to be treated? I mean, how did this just disintegrate to where it is today? And I hold us all responsible because we are part of the answer as well. Look at number five, abortion. Over one million babies are murdered every year with their mother's permission by doctors in the U.S. 
You want to know how God feels about abortion? Proverbs 6, 17, uh, 6, 16 through 17 says, The Lord hates hands that shed innocent blood. Would you please put up this picture of an abortion? See, most of you don't understand what an abortion is. That's the human body. That's the face. That's the lungs. That's the arms. That's the fingers. And this is happening in our nation. We've had women in our church confess it as a sin and be forgiven. But I want you, every, everyone here to look up at me as you're hearing what I have to say today. When you committed an abortion, or men, if you helped your girlfriend have an abortion, you are guilty of murder. This is not even the kind of murder we're going to assimilate with your cursing. This is actual murder in the court of God. This is taking of a human life. If that is not a human being there, then what do you call it? See, in the time of Nazi Germany, when they treated human beings like rats, they made it legal to do what they did, and they said, we don't define life as being for the lesser races. See, Darwin also wrote a book about the lesser races. That's what Darwinism promotes, is racism. That's what helped Nazi Germany do what it did. So they said only the Aryans are the race of humans that deserve to live. If you're not Aryan, you don't deserve to live. Doesn't that sound like what our courts have done in America? We've defined what life is now. We think we're going to tell God what life is. That's not life, God. That's a parasite taking from the mother her hopes and dreams. The mother's choice in her body should allow her to kill that child. That's what our culture has said. Let me ask you a question. If it's a woman's right, then why does the woman walk out still alive after she does that? Because it's not her body. It's someone else's body that dies. Someone else's body that dies. It's not your right as a mother to kill your child. Well, it can happen when it's inside the womb. Well, why does the womb change anything? Why does this much skin change anything? Can a mother now kill her child when the child's two, two, three years old? What's the difference between the child living within the womb and the child living outside of the womb? Is it not still a child? If I put you in a closet, are you still who you are? Hello, somebody. Does every doctor have a mental illness? Does every abortion clinic have a mental illness? Is this something we blame on clinical, uh, uh, clinical psychiatry that they are clinically crazy? Of course not. This is the wickedness of men's hearts. This is people purposely changing the truth of God for a lie. Gangbangers don't need psychologists and psychiatrists. They need to repent and see that these are the lives that God has made. They didn't make that life. They can't create one of those and they can't take it. Mothers and every father and every person here needs to see this is life. We don't have the right to take that. That's not our right. That child has the right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And if you don't want it, someone will adopt it and take care of it. We don't get to define what life is. And you can remove the picture and just go back to those main points. What is the root cause of murder in all of its forms? The kind of murder where a man beats his wife with a, a, a tire iron? What's the root cause of that? What's the root cause of a man breaking into his female neighbor's house and raping her and dismembering her body? What is the root cause for a 14-year-old to stab to death her 11-year-old sister? 
What is the root cause for someone to behead their disabled child and put it on their front lawn? What is the root cause for 64 shootings and all of these murders in Chicago? What's the root cause for people to kill their unborn children? It's all the same. Pride. Pride. Because we feel we can do unto others what we want. And we shouldn't have to treat them the way we want to be treated. They all have that in common. That man who breaks in to his neighbor's house, she doesn't get the same right to live that he does. He decides the rights that she gets. He wants to take her rights, his selfishness and pride. The mother who now has a child, it's her selfish life, it's her job, it's her career, it's her, you know, inconvenience. So what does she do? She kills a child. A gangbanger, his feelings get hurt, his territory gets stepped on, his drugs get taken away. He's going to retaliate and take someone's life. And not only does selfishness and pride happen in the form of murder, it now happens in the form of anger. So I want you to look at these next points. Why did I get so graphic with murder? Because I want everyone to look up at me, please, before we see the notes. I love you, but you got to hang here with me. I I tell you these things because I love you. Listen, the reason why I wanted to get graphic with you is because I want you to understand as disgusting as murder is to God and to you is as disgusting temper and cursing and anger is to God as well. The same way we're disgusted by violence in that sense of the child murdering her sister is the same way God is disgusted when he sees a sister curse out their sister. The same way he's disgusted when he sees gangbangers shoot uh, shoot the block up with their guns. It's the same way he's disgusted when he sees two men in traffic cursing each other out. Of course they have different consequences in different judgment, but nonetheless both will bring you to God's judgment. Both will bring you to God's judgment. And is there anyone here in this place today that honestly, if you could, you could just raise up your hand and say, I need to pardon myself from this message because I don't have a problem with anger. Is there anybody really right now that could say, Pastor, let me give my seat up to someone else that really deals with this because I don't have a problem with my temper. Now, aren't we all now guilty of this? We may never actually physically murder, and I praise God that that is a statistically no low number in our day, but I think statistically chances are high that we will curse somebody out this week, that we will yell at somebody this week, that we will call somebody a name this week, that we will treat somebody the way they should not be treated this week. And we need to understand how serious God takes it. When Jesus was on the cross and they were cursing at him and had put him there to die, what did he say to all of his enemies? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If you choose to not listen to this message, you are saying you're better than Jesus. I want everybody to be very clear with that. I'm not saying that we won't make mistakes and trying to walk this out. I'm saying if you just sit back and go, I ain't buying it. I'll do what I want to do. I'll say what I want to say. I'm a grown man. I'm a grown woman. I'll tell them what they need to hear. I don't care. If you do that, you are standing right in this place. You are here with a place of pride, standing above Jesus on the cross, looking down on him with your prideful nose, and you're saying, I'm better than you. You forgave your enemies. I won't. 
I'm better than Jesus. You think you're better than Jesus? Do you think you can go through this life keeping vendettas, be bitter, be full of hate, and you think on judgment day he's going to excuse that behavior? Of course he won't. He'll look at you for the prideful person that you are, and he'll say, I forgave my enemies, but you hated them. I blessed them, but you cursed them, and I was their creator. You were just their brother or sister. Depart from me into hellfire. Did it not say in that passage in Matthew, you will be brought before judgment for hell fire? Just go back so we can see the seriousness of this, please. Just look at it. I love you. Look at your neighbor and say, he loves us enough to tell us the truth. Come on, just look at it. I ain't threatening you with hell. Jesus said it. End of verse 22. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Am I being a good preacher today? Am I helping you know about the danger of the fires of hell? You can say whatever you want at the end of the day. I just want to know that I do my job. Amen. I'm going to be real with you and how I've dealt with anger as well. I'm not going to try to pretend I'm above this. What I am simply saying is that I'm going to obey this. So you can't get away with it and say, well, I want to see how that pastor acts when somebody treats him like this. Or if that pastor had a job like me, let's see how he acts. I'm not saying I would act any different than you in all of those situations. But I am saying we both need to be warned. We're going to get held to a high standard, and the fires of hell are going to be a part of our punishment if we do not do right. So you can't get away with it and just go, well, I know pastor. He's a fiery Italian. I bet you he would do something, someone, you know, X, Y, and Z. I'm not your standard. Jesus is the standard. And so I, like you, come to these words of Jesus and say, help me, Lord. Help me, Jesus. Help me to understand my temper. Help me to know when I lose it with my children and my wife. Help me to be quick to repent, to get that junk out of my heart. Help me to forgive my enemies when they backstab me. Help me not get bitter, but get better. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, don't get bitter, get better. Amen. Look at anger, number one, to have feelings of hatred and wrath towards someone. Now, let me give you the definition here of good and bad anger because anger is actually an emotion that can be good. So we want to be very clear that we're not saying we're walking around docile all the time without feelings and emotions. Good and bad anger. Let me help you understand this. The anger Jesus is referring to as sinful is more like a hatred than just a disgust known as holy anger because anger can actually be a good thing. When you hear about what we're learning today about the oppression of children, societies that killed the Jews in the World War II generation, it was good to get angry and disgusted with it and to bring justice. There's a difference between justice and revenge, and there's a difference between righteous anger and sinful anger. The sinful anger that Jesus is talking about is a hatred. It's a cursing kind of anger that doesn't wish any good for them. It only wants them to be cursed and because you hate them. A righteous anger says, I get upset when people do these things, but I'll still want the best for them. I still want them to pray and repent. When Osama bin Laden was alive, I was like, they need to get him and bring justice, but I pray he repents so that he doesn't suffer hell. No one on Judgment Day is going to be wanting to go to hell, and I don't want anyone to go there. Though they deserve earthly punishment, they deserve justice, I believe in all that, but I want to see everyone repent and have eternal life. Hell will be for eternity, not just for 100 years, not just for 1,000 years, time without end. 
So the Bible clearly shows that at times Jesus was angry. However, his hatred in his heart never was towards others cursing and towards their, their wrong to, to want them to suffer. Look to Mark 3, 5 through 6, just to see how Jesus can have that emotion. Because I do want to be very honest as your pastor. I'm not saying we can't have an emotion that gets angry. But you're going to learn in your anger not to sin. Everybody say, be angry and sin not. We're going to look at that passage in just a moment, but I just want to show you Jesus did get angry. Mark 3, 5, when you're there, say I'm there. I'll give a few moments for the screen to get up there as well. There is an emotion of anger just like there's an emotion of sorrow. But how many know when you're sad, that doesn't mean you're depressed. Sometimes you can feel sad and things are, are, are not working out in your life, but that doesn't mean you go into a depression. There's also times where you can be disappointed. That doesn't mean that uh, you're discouraged wanting to quit. See, there's, there's levels of our emotions, and God gives us a guideline of what's safe for us and what will be beneficial for us. So at times, you will feel an emotion of anger, but you should know where that line is not to cross it. So let's look at Jesus. He got angry. He looked around at them in what? Anger and deeply distressed at their what? Stubborn hearts. You ever dealt with anybody stubborn? Okay, sometimes you get angry with stubborn folk, amen. Husbands don't nudge your wives right now. Wives don't nudge your husbands, amen. Just keep looking forward. Just pretend I, just pretend I didn't say that. Uh, he got angry at their de- deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. So while Jesus is doing a miracle, he gets distressed and angry. But then he looked at the guy and go, because you've distressed and angered me, I'm going to just like hurt you now. I'm going to pimp slap you. I'm going to damn your soul to hell. No, he still does what is good. So how do we know the difference just real practically between good anger and bad anger? What is the result of it? What is the fruit of it? Does your anger result in cursing? The Bible says not to curse. And in every culture, it defines basically its own curse words. So there's not like a list in the Bible that says these are curse words because obviously they wouldn't be the same for, for every generation. Like Raqqa wouldn't be the same. But every culture, we know what's decent, proper, should be said, not be said. The Bible says don't let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth. So in your anger, are you letting out unwholesome words or are you working through the anger, expressing yourself in a way that people can actually receive it or is it just like, you know, and there's nothing really to receive other than a bunch of curse words. Okay. Another thing is, does your anger result in violence? Do you now get angry and you start beating on somebody? And uh, only time I give people permission to do that is when your job allows you to do that. And there's probably only a few military police that have to subjugate and put people down. Other than that, we are not the police. We are not the military, right? So we shouldn't beat and subjugate people because we're not there to arrest them. But if your anger leads you to that, even as parents, if your anger leads you to spank your child, you're not acting right. You should never spank your child out of anger. You should take a chill pill, relax a minute, have them go to another room, and then spank them. And I'm going to give some examples of how I haven't always done that. But I want to just get the, the word out there because not, I'm not your standard, remember? I'm working on this like you. Look at Ephesians 4 now, verse 26. And here's the way that we're going to know how to be angry and not sin. Ephesians 4:26 says this, and it's in the notes. In your anger, do not what? Sin, thank you. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry. So consequently, what is uh, Paul here teaching us? What is the Bible teaching us? That there's a difference between righteous and unrighteous anger. The emotion of righteous anger will not result in sin. It will not result in hatred, cursing, and physical abuse. But unrighteous anger will always bear that fruit. 
So right now, just look at your life as I'm talking to you. You can do two things, right? You can look at me and then think about something else. How have you been doing with anger? When you get angry and that emotion comes, do you keep it righteous and don't allow it to bring you to sin? Or does the emotion of anger bring you into sin? What is the fruit of your anger? What is it like? If you and I were to get in a fight right now and it was to get heated up, how would you act? Sometimes people say, oh, I said that when I was angry. I didn't mean it. And I say, yes, you did. You meant exactly what you said. Because when your cup is full and it gets shook and shaked like that, only what's in your cup can spill out. So you got what's in your heart, those words already. You got what's in your heart, those kinds of thoughts already. And when you get shook up and get angry, it just boils over. But if you didn't have that in your heart, you wouldn't express those kinds of things. So when we're apologizing to each other, we shouldn't just say, well, I was angry and I didn't mean it. We should say, I'm sorry that in my anger I said things that I now regret. Because you did mean it at that moment. It was in your heart. It didn't, if you didn't mean it, why didn't you just say a random statement like, Abraham Lincoln was president. What? What? I was angry. I didn't mean that. Where did that come from? You know, I want an elote right now with extra cheese. Oh, was that me? Did I just say that? Like, like if, there, if there's just random things coming out of your mouth and you're like, well, I didn't mean it. How come it just happens to be the very kind of words and put downs that hurt the most, sting the most? Why is it just, you meant it. You know, you knew what you were saying and how you were saying it. So when we apologize for those kinds of things, we shouldn't play dumb. We should say we're sorry for saying those things, and you regret it, and you're going to say things differently next time. Let's look at these two words, rock and fool, and then I'll help give some personal examples and hopefully some steps to take to reconcile because that's the opposite of treating people like our enemies is to have reconciliation, to be at peace with people. Rock and fool, the two words that Jesus warns us against, as I said before, raka is Aramaic for our English term idiot. Fool just simply means you're dumb, you're stupid. Both of these said to someone out of anger, like curse words, you'll be subject to judgment. Now look at the scripture. I have it here, James 1, 19 through 20. It says, my dear brothers and sisters. Everybody say brothers and sisters. Amen. That's who Jesus was talking about. That's who we are to consider each other to be, brothers and sisters. Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to lose their temper and tell everybody what they think. Is that what it says? Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. How many of you parents have seen yourself lose your temper with your kids and it did not produce righteousness in their lives? It made it worse. Nancy and I were just talking about this. There's times when we discipline our children in anger. It does not help them. It actually frustrates them. Let me give a personal example. So Hannah's outside and we tell her to do something and she doesn't do it. We tell her again, she doesn't do it. You know, think maybe she didn't understand. So we're like, I'm going to tell you again. But she still doesn't do it. If I walk right out there and I just start spanking it right out there in the backyard, not only do I look like an idiot in front of the neighbors, you know, fool here, but I have now lost control, right? So let's say I do that right now. Do you think that's going to produce righteousness inside of her? Do you think she's really going to say, well, I, I just learned a great lesson in life right now? No. 
She's going to say, I just got beat, and I feel embarrassed. I feel dumb. I'm upset. There was no communication. But what if I say, go into the bathroom and wait for me to come? See, now what I'm doing is I'm giving myself time to cool down. While she goes into that bathroom, I can decide, does she get a timeout and just stay there? Does she get a swat on her wrist? Or does she get her pants pulled down and get one or two spankings that don't leave marks uh, but, are allowed, uh, but are given so that she can feel the sting, a negative consequence? Which one of those three things am I going to do? See, now I can take the time through God and prayer, make a rational decision. Some of you may not want to spank. That's okay. You can go in there and you can say, this is the lesson. You didn't listen to me. I asked you twice. Now you're going to take a five-minute timeout. That's an acceptable punishment, isn't it? She can learn from that. Or you can come in and say, the lesson, you did not listen to me, so I'm going to swat your hand. Or you could say, this kind of not listening is maybe a consistently bad behavior, and you're going to use your spanking as the last resort, as a place of punishment so that she feels a sting to know you can't keep doing this throughout the day. Now, if I give the lesson, the punishment, and then at the end, reaffirm my love for her, Come at the end of the timeout, after the spanking, after the swat, and I say, honey, I love you. I really don't want to have to keep doing this. I want you to learn the lesson. When mommy and daddy ask you to do something, please do it. Will you do that for us? Yes, daddy. There's a lesson there, isn't there? That's different than the example of me going out there and swatting. And has my wife and I done it wrong? Yes, we have. But if I said to you, I do it wrong and keep asking God to forgive me as I keep doing it wrong, would you say that's a good behavior for you to imitate and follow? No. But what I can say to you as your pastor is when we've done it wrong, we've asked her to forgive us and we've asked God to forgive us. Can you imitate that? Meaning if your pastor's working on it, can you work on it? So all parents can work on that, right? Let me give you another example. Let's say somebody on Facebook writes you a note. And uh, you guys are fighting on Facebook like you're in third grade, right? You know what I'm talking about. Like you just went to the playground on Facebook. And you're real mature, but yet you're acting immature. And it's all out there. And all of a sudden, everybody's mad. And they can tell you guys are mad and people are mad. Now you have a choice. You can private message your friend a whole bunch of cuss words and then delete them from your friend list. Or you could do what? You could take a 24-hour break. You could say, I'm not going to respond to anybody on social media that gets me upset for 24 hours. Do you think in God's, by God's grace anybody could do that here? That would be hard for most of us. Let's just keep it real. But we're supposed to be slow to speak. Slow. You become angry. Give yourself 24 hours. You can't start there. Give yourself an hour. Don't just respond. I've responded and said some of the dumbest things that I have ever said in my life. Things that I regret saying. I've, I've spent hours responding to people that didn't even care what I had to say because they already blocked me from their friends and I didn't know that they did. So by the time I hit send, it couldn't even go to them. And I'm like, I just wasted an hour writing you. I'm about ready to send it old school by telegram. Boop, 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 boop. Like, get it to them. <laughs> Pony Express, they got to read what I had to say. See, how can we react to that? 
I remember one time I was on this long Facebook argument. I think Ricky may remember. It was a person about the church. And he honestly just told me, he said, it just made you look bad, Pastor. It just made you look bad arguing with this person on Facebook. Because everyone could tell you were angry. And it didn't matter how wrong he was. He's not a pastor. You should do better. So I'm trying to keep that rule. So don't you all test me, okay? Don't you all provoke me, okay? Like, look, I'll see if I can get him mad right now for some stuff. Your sermon today stunk, Pastor. I didn't like it. <laughs> Let's be honest. Could we do better in that? Could we put a 24-hour rule in our multi, uh, social media? How about this with friends and the people that we're in, in our jobs with? You know, one time my friend and I, we got into an argument till 5 in the morning. Anybody ever been into those kind of arguments? Two of you. The rest of you, what's wrong? Y'all have no friends or y'all ain't keeping it real? Come on. Has anybody had a knockdown, drag-out fight with their friend? Oh, let's put in this one. A spouse, a married couple. I'm talking wee hours in the morning. Okay, five of you. I'll just preach to five of you then. Let me bless the five of you. And the rest of you, whenever y'all get married and have friends. Amen? Okay. <laughs> No, I'm just teasing. Some of you already got that lesson. You're so awesome. You're advanced, okay? You're the, you need to go to the advanced anger management class. We're just at the basic level right now, okay? So I was in this argument with this one, one of my good friends. If I said his name, most of you would know here. He's come to preach till like 5 in the morning. Let's put it this way. We started at night, and by the time I told him my boots were made for walking, that's just what they're going to do, and I'm going to drive home, the sun was coming up. We called each other everything. Now, when preachers fight, if, if they're good preachers, they're not going to cuss. You know what I'm saying? But they are going to use a bunch of, like, spiritual terms. You're backslidden. I rebuke you. Well, I rebuke you rebuking me. You know? Like, brother, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Brother, I don't check myself. You better pray. You better pray some more. You know, so he's like two pastors fighting. Seriously, like, we were like, cuss, like Christian cussing each other out. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're a Judas. No, man, you acting like Peter, man. You, you lame, you know. So we were like in this Christian ease fight. But the anger, the anger nonetheless was there. So I don't, I don't fall for people who say nice things but still are really angry. I don't fall for that because I know I can do that too, you know. Because I don't curse anymore. I go stinker, binker, you know what I'm saying. Those are my bad words. But we can get angry with our, like, Christian words, can't we? We can let it out. You're a stinker, binker. <laughs> you know, so anyways, till like five in the morning, and I look back on that, there was not one good thing that came out of that, not one good thing, you know what we could have did, we could have said, let's go home and pray about this and talk about it later, we could have said, it's not worth it, because I don't even remember what we fought over, but when we let our anger get the best of us, what did God say, we're guilty, we're guilty now, here are some things to help you out and hopefully put us all in a better place. Reconciliation, number one. What does that mean? Jesus talked about it. The act of restoring opposing people into friendship. Uh, Lilani, would you come to the keyboard, please, in closing? God wants us to be reconciled and not to be at enemies with, uh, to be enemies with people. We should love and forgive each other. Jesus was on the cross. They were cursing him, but he was reconciling himself to them. Number two, we should forgive and restore. 
Now, there are some people who when they say they're sorry, they don't mean it. And you got to be careful in life because there are people that can hurt you. and Maybe they want to murder you and you got to guard your family. And I, I agree with that. But I'm talking about in everyday life with your co-workers, your friends, and your family. Most of the time, if they mean they're sorry, they truly mean it. And if you want to be like Christ, you can forgive them and say, let's try this again. Has anybody here ever had to forgive their friend of doing something wrong? Where are the people who have friends this morning? Okay. <laughs> like, like I can see maybe not having a fight till 5 in the morning, but you all have friends. You all do stuff with people. Okay. <laughs> I, want to just, I just want to know who I'm talking to right now. Let me just be very clear. Everybody pay attention to this question. Have you ever gotten into a fight with your friend? And you've had to forgive them. You said, I forgive you. Oh, that's the church I was looking for this morning. Okay, thank you. I thought our people had friends who weren't just loners and all of that. I know I've never offended anybody, you know. Okay, so what do you do? You, when you forgive, as the old adage goes, it's not forgetting. That is true. You may have a memory that still keeps in mind that offense. I'm not saying that that's possible to erase your memory, okay? But what you're choosing to do is to forgive the offense that you'll never forget. Do you get the difference? Some of you say, I can't forget what my dad did to me. And that's true. You may have what a family member did to you in your memory the rest of your life. But let's say they truly ask for forgiveness. You can Forgive them for the offense that they did for you. And for the rest of your life, whenever that offense comes to your mind, because you'll remember, because if I'm here to tell you, you'll forgive, you'll forget, life will go on. That's not true. I can still remember some of my deepest, now some of them I can't remember, but some of my deepest, realest hurts, like I can tell you everything about it, and I can tell you everything about the day. I can tell you sometimes what clothes I was wearing. Because some of us have been hurt deeply in life. And listen to me, you're not going to forget that. But what you can do is forgive. And so then what happens in your memory as that time comes back, you know, maybe you and your friend, you're together, and then, you know, just something reminds you of that again. What you can do is in your heart say, I forgive that person. You can continually forgive. There are some situations that I faced in life that I continually forgive all throughout the year. There's one situation in particular. I have been forgiving for 10 years. Just every time I think about it, I get hurt again, and I go, oh, I forgive them. Think about it. Get hurt. I forgive them, and I want to guard my heart from that hurt, but then sometimes I think about it, I meditate on it. Oh, i got to forgive them again. That's what real life is like, friends. Your coworker may not... You know, he, your coworker may do something wrong and ask you to forgive them, and you're going to genuinely try to do it. Well, they're not going to become Mary Poppins tomorrow and start, you know, coming into your office, you know, on an umbrella, you like, you know, giving you sugar and helping the medicine go down and all this. They still may be a jerk, right? And they may apologize for that again. And you may have to deal with those kind of people in life. But you got to get that junk out of your heart. you got to get better, not bitter. And that's how you do it is by forgiveness. And lastly, brother and sister, I believe Jesus is talking about here, are people we're in relationship with. Like, for example, there's no way for me to 
be reconciled to Ahmadinejad in Iran, that dictator, okay? There's no way for me to go be reconciled to him and say, I forgive you for your mass genocide, though I still want you out of power and publicly executed, but I forgive you and I don't have ill will towards you, okay? I, there's no relationship between me and Ahmadinejad, but there is relationship between me and you. So if there's issues that you and I have, I'm supposed to genuinely forgive you. And look what Jesus said. Uh, Peter asked, how many times are we to forgive our brother and sister when they sin against me? Seven times? Let's read the answer together. Verse 22, Jesus answered, I tell you, not but 77 times. So what do we do? We forgive. Here's four applications for murdering. Okay, I want you to not murder. Everybody say, I will not murder. Okay? Don't murder and pray for an end to violence in our nation, number one. Number two, don't have or support abortions. Number three, pray for your enemies and the enemies of our nation. And number four, pray and support good government that protects the innocent and punishes the wicked. Can I get an amen? Amen. Here's five applications, and these are the notes online. You can go back and digest it because I think you got the heart of today's message. But here's some applications for anger. Number one, try to look overlook the offenses that aren't worth getting angry over. Most of the time, it's just not worth getting angry over. Number two, if you do get anger, control your anger and emotions. Don't sin. Avoid things like cursing and hatred and violence. Number three, try to peaceably, peaceably resolve the differences you have with the people you're angry with, talking it through maybe getting godly advice, the Bible, maybe a mediator, someone you trust. Number four, humbly treat others the way you want to be treated. And then lastly, love at all times. Is there anybody here that wants to live like Jesus, reject anger and reject violence? Can I, give, can I ask you to give the Lord a hand clap as you stand up today? Amen. Jesus, we all need your help. Could we just pray on that right now as you're standing? Altar workers, would you come please? Let's just pray. And the way we like to pray is to close our eyes, to help us with our distractions, to not allow them to take away from what we're doing. Would you just close your eyes and just think about what you heard? Make it personal. Jesus, would you show us our hearts today? Would you show us if there's anyone, uh, show the person that's here, if there's anyone here that's actually considered murder or has been a part of that lifestyle? for them to repent right now. If there's anyone here, head bowed and eyes closed, if you have been tempted to murder or have been a part of a lifestyle that involved murder, like in what I mean by that is gangs and drugs, abortion, or you've committed an abortion or thought about it, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, would you just start to ask the Lord to forgive you? Forgive you for the past things you've done? Forgive you for thinking about life the way you were? to not value human life, whether it was an abortion, to not value human beings inside the womb. Or maybe you got real angry with somebody at one time and you planned to do something. You know, you need to repent of that. Or if you've been so angry in a gang or kind of lifestyle like that where you really thought you could kill somebody or maybe you tried, let's repent of murder today I'm not putting it past this congregation anytime you have this many people in a room statistically you're getting close you're getting close to dealing with people even just statistically speaking that might be dealing with murder and I want to take that serious just a few more moments Jesus show us our hearts show us our hearts oh God now if you're here today and you said, 
Pastor, murder has not been my temptation, but anger has been a real temptation in my life, sinning in my anger. Would you think of three ways that you've sinned in your anger recently and repent of them to God? So I want you to be specific. I just don't want you to say, God, forgive me for being angry. I want you to think of three ways you've acted unrighteously in your anger and ask God to forgive you. Parents, you may have to ask God to forgive you for disciplining your children out of anger and it not being done right. You might have to, husbands and wives, repent for how you've treated each other in anger, saying hurtful things. Children, to your parents out of rebellion, you might have not treated them with respect in your anger. Co-workers, bosses, would you think about that right now? As just the band begins to play softly, we're going to give a few moments to introspection before we dismiss. Thank you for your patience. But I hope that you're being real with God today. I hope that you're going to be honest with Him. And it starts with repentance. Forgive us. Forgive us, oh God. We can do better because you live in us. It's by your power and strength that we can avoid sinning in our anger. There's no excuse. Forgive us for the way we've talked to each other, the way we've treated each other, the things we've said about each other on Facebook, the anger, the bitterness we've had towards people in our past. Forgive us. If you've been going through life with a chip on your shoulder because of what somebody did to you, maybe a former pastor, maybe a former co-worker, or somebody in your family, I want you to say, God, I forgive them. Come on, you need to get that out of your heart. Don't let bitterness corrupt your soul. If Jesus could forgive, you can forgive. A few more moments today. Let's repent of murder. Let's repent of anger. Let's repent of bitterness. Jesus, let no one leave out here the same way they came. Let no one leave out here making excuses. Let no one think here that it's okay to be unrighteous in our anger, oh God. Let no one here hide their bitterness, hide their unforgiveness. Let every heart leave out of here pure, full of peace, full of righteousness, full of love, oh God. Full of your love, your grace, your mercy. Hallelujah. Now would you just look up at me? And if you want to pray this with me, would you just raise your hands up to heaven just as I'm doing? Just look at me as an example if you don't know how to do it. But then just close your eyes again and focus on Jesus. And let's just say this together. All those who want to be free from anger and murder and bitterness, who want to live a life pleasing unto God, say this with me. Jesus, help me to be slow to become angry. Slow to speak and quick to listen. Make my life an example for all those around me. Amen. If you believe it, can you give him a hand clap of praise? I believe he's going to do it. Amen.